You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. I'm broadcasting live, but basically recorded from the Vivid Seat Studios. Use promo code OVERTIME in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases. First time customers only. So, first of all, I want to apologize for not having a podcast to you yesterday. But uh, decisions had to be made, and the decision to watch the game was an easy one. And uh, not getting up four-ish hours later was also a fairly easy decision. I would also like to apologize for anyone in the Madison-slash-Verona area for single-handedly closing down the pizza ranch last night. Am I proud of what I did? Yeah, yeah, I think I am. I had to reevaluate a couple things in my life when I woke up eight hours later, still in agonizing pain. It's a little shocking. But if I'm going to an all-you-can-eat restaurant, I'm going to close it down, and that's exactly what I did. I took out their pizza by the handful, and I took down their chicken with a battle axe. So how was your day? Anyways, look, I I know people are upset about the the Packers. In fact, that was kind of one of the the big questions that I've I've seen some people ask it, and I've tried to figure it out myself. What exactly is it? Because I know losses are always hard, but what specifically is it that makes it so hard to face this loss considering... At this point, the Packers are 3-1. and Because it's a little weird. Because I think all of us would agree that if you were to go back in time and somebody were to come up to you and say, okay, tell me how you would feel about this. The Packers beat the Bears in Soldier Field, beat the Vikings, beat the Broncos, but lose to the Eagles, and it was down to the wire, basically. Not only down to the wire, but essentially the game-deciding play came down to a botched call by the refs. Not saying that's exactly why we lost. I don't really like that excuse in general. I mean, sometimes you can use it, but, I mean, to say that that was the whole reason we lost, I mean, that's not really being honest with some of the the serious issues going on. But I think most people would have said, yeah, I think that's uh, that's a pretty good start to the season right there. I mean, Eagles are a good team, right? Three and one, beating the division rivals. I'm, I'm pretty good with that. So why are we so, why is this one so hard to swallow? And the only thing I can think... The maybe the biggest thing is that we've built up this idea of this elite number, you know, number one defense, elite defense, Super Bowl reigning team because of how good the defense is. And not only that, we've been running our mouth a lot about the defense. And now we get a primetime game where the whole world is watching, including the Vikings, the Bears, the Lions, and all of their fans. And pretty much the whole world is laughing at us now. And that's a pretty tough pill to swallow. Like, wow, great defense you got there, guys. Because that was literally the worst run defense I've ever seen in my entire life. It was brutal. Been talking about Jair being this lockdown corner, and he's getting beat by guys that I've never heard of in my life. And I think it was kind of a shock to the system a little bit. And probably in part because we, at at some level, didn't exactly believe it. We wanted to believe it, and we wanted to believe it wasn't true, or, or I guess that it was true depending on where we're going with this. The goodness was true, that maybe this was false, was not true, whatever. And now we're facing the real reality that maybe, not that we know for sure, but maybe the defense isn't that good. Maybe the defense was really good against garbage offenses, 
but against a decent offense, which is really all the Eagles' offense is, they don't really have very good running backs. They do have a pretty good offensive line, but it's not, you know, it's not elite. Maybe, maybe I don't know. It's good. It's it's good. It's not blowing holes big enough to drive Mack trucks through good, but, you know, it's good. I think there's just some fear that maybe the 2018 Packers are about to resurface. I'm not making a declaration that that's what I think. I'm just saying that's maybe where the fear is coming from. That's where the angst is coming from. Because if the defense isn't good and the offense continues to struggle, it's 2018 all over again. And we're looking at the fact that the Lions are are playing pretty well, which is what I said might happen, and the Lions just beat the Eagles. And the fact that the Vikings are kind of just taking it to everybody. The only time they lost was to the Packers, and that was when uh, Kirk Cousins had the worst game of his entire life. And so I think some Packer fans are are, um, panicked. And I don't think it's wrong to be panicked. I think it's wrong to make declarative statements, as in, I know that this is the case, and start putting it out there publicly, because these are just things that are come back to bite you if the Packers end up having a good season. Because you know how Twitter and Facebook work. People will remind you of everything you said. Act accordingly. Here's the overall way that I'm going to phrase this, before we take our break and kind of launch into a few things. Specifics. Number one, the, the run game has to get figured out, but I do think the offense is improving. Now, maybe that was just a a game against a beat-up Philadelphia secondary, but some of those throws from Aaron Rodgers were insane. And and beyond that, Devontae Adams is that guy to where if you don't have a top-tier corner or a solution to take him away, we're going to hurt you real bad. And to have the combination of a guy that's going to be able to do that kind of stuff and a quarterback that can put the ball where it needs to be, you got to have a solution for the Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams combination. At the very least, we have that. After that, I think we have tools, right? I don't know if we can say we have a number two necessarily, but you you look at Geronimo and some of the catches he's able to make are just ridiculous. I'm sticking by my assessment of him in that he's sort of like Richard Rodgers. I don't think he's an elite player, but man, does he come up with some clutch catches and clutch situations. Also good to see Jimmy Graham get moving a little bit. That touchdown catch was was a reminder of everything that he was brought here to be. And, and sort of in one catch, it sort of embodied why the Packers wouldn't want to let him go. I could have swore that was overthrown by about 10 yards. And Jimmy Graham, Mr. Stretch Armstrong, just kept reaching and reaching and reaching. And like his arms just kept moving out. And you realize how massive of a human being he is. And he grabs the football, and the football looks like a, an Oreo in my hand. It's just this tiny little thing in his hand. And he just makes it look like this football game is so easy. Like he just snatches this tiny chicken nugget out of the air, thrown 10 yards past him, but his long arms just reach out and grab it. And you just realize, like, how in the world does anybody defend that? they got to figure out how to get that going. But I do think the offense is growing. The offensive line has got to figure out how to run block better. But as I said before, take a look at Tennessee last year and how bad they were at running the ball. And look how good they began to be toward the end of the year. Give it time. Now, as for the defense, I don't think it's a bad defense. I think the defense had a bad day. But I also think it's a good thing to kind of get some of this stuff out of the way. I think it's good to have this on a long week. Because it's almost bad to have a team that's that's young and new and in a new scheme and all this stuff to not have some serious trials. Because you, you have to be able to go back and find these problems and fix them. There's a lot of stuff to correct after that game, and I have to go back and rewatch it, but just from some of the clips I've seen about some of these giant holes, I mean, the last thing I just saw on Twitter, it was very obvious to me anyways that Blake Martinez just made a bad decision. Now, the offensive line just completely blew open two holes, basically, but he's got two guys to the left of him. 
nobody to the right of him. He fills the hole to the left of him, meaning the hole to the right of him has nobody, and the hole to the left has three people. Blake just blew that up. Now, credit to the offensive line for creating two massive holes, but I also think that's sort of defensive scheme. You know, we've only got three guys up front. When you're playing press man coverage, where what are the corners doing? They're turned with their back to the play. They don't know what's going on. And so you got Blake and you got a couple safeties roaming around. And you also have offensive linemen who are trying to get up to that next level. And so you got, you know, I mean, it's it's tough. I think Mike Pettin puts a lot of stress on these guys to win, which again is why, you know, these defensive linemen in particular, it's it's a premium on getting really talented guys to be able to hold your ground on double teams, to be able to win one-on-ones. And I think Kenny Clark does a good job of, of holding his ground on double teams. But you look at to the left and to the right of Kenny Clark and there's nobody because nobody else is, is causing there to be any congestion. And then when you have these gigantic holes, you're leaving these linebackers with one-on-one or your one linebacker because that's the other thing. We're stressing Blake to be the only guy to come up and make a play. It, it, was, it was basically Mike Pettin saying it's on you guys to win and they didn't win. Which, by the way, as crazy as it sounds because we've invested a lot in defensive linemen, I think that may be a, a, a top position need for the Packers. Just going to throw that out there. I think this defense doesn't work unless you have really, really talented defensive linemen. Kenny Clark is solid. We paid Dean a lot of money, but I think Dean is, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be the greatest holding it down against double teams. And also, as I've said, these guys like to stack defensive line talent. Now, we'll see what happens with uh, you know Kingsley Kiki and Montrevious coming back. Maybe that solves all the problems, but th- this wasn't good enough. But again, get some of this stuff on tape, clean it up, and, and come back. Because we, we've seen what this defense can do. It's just got to get fixed. And it has to get fixed pretty quick. Because any problem they had against Philadelphia is going to be even a bigger problem against Dallas. This is a better offensive line. This is a much better running back. I mean, just imagine that Eagles game, except the offensive line is a little bit better. And we're replaying Dalvin Cook. That's kind of what we're talking about except a slightly stronger, bigger Dalvin Cook, <laughs> and also much better wide receivers. So we got to get it figured out. Because again, this is one that I think we needed to win, because Dallas is going to be an even better opponent. And at the end of the day, this all just comes down to by the end of the year, we need to get this stuff figured out so that we can be ready to go come playoff time and everything else. But we have to make sure that we have enough wins to even get into the playoffs. So we can't start stacking losses. Because the NFC North right now is just winning and winning and winning and winning and winning, and we can't get too far behind. So keep the long-term goal in mind, but also, you know, we, we, we got to kind of in the short term figure something out. Because at this point, you know, beating Dallas is, is not, uh, it's pretty far from a guarantee. Beating the Lions is not a guarantee at all. I mean, really, of our next five games, the Raiders are the only one that you would look at and say, oh yeah, we could beat them. But Dallas, Detroit, Kansas City, and the Chargers, eh. And then even the Carolina Panthers, as much as they're kind of down on their luck, if, if Cam Newton comes back and Christian McCaffrey, right, Chargers <laughs> are not having any problem running the football right now. So, I, I again, we get it cleaned up, figure it out. If, if you got to go out in free agency and get somebody that's really just a run stuffer just to fix this one problem, just just do it. I don't know who that would be, but it's got it's to get fixed. But no, I'm not going to get into the sky is falling territory. It's a good thing to put some of this stuff on tape, get it corrected, because this is still it's still a good defense because it's filled with talented people. Darius Smith is a good football player. Preston Smith is a good football player. Kenny Clark is a good football player. Jair is pretty good. Kevin King had another really good game. Darnell seems to be really good. Adrian Amos is a good safety. It's a good football team. 
Anyways, let's finally take our first break and uh, get into a few specifics. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So first of all, just look at some general stats, shall we? Carson Wentz, who I think had a pretty good day, but it wasn't, again, just trying to put things into perspective. This wasn't a, it felt kind of like a blowout at time. I remember for a little while I turned the game off because, you know, I get a little superstitious and it's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to turn this off because this isn't going well. And then I just kind of waited what felt like about 20 minutes. It was probably like 30 seconds. I turned it back on and it was like the Packers are driving. So I turned it off and I was like talking to my buddy. I said, all right, just kind of like, you know, don't tell me what's going on. I'm going to tune it out. And, and every time I turned it off, good stuff happened until ultimately we lost. But every time I turned it back, it was like, I remember being stunned that Dude, we're, we're only down seven? Every time I looked at it, I was just stunned because it felt like things were worse than they were. Carson went 16 of 27, 160 yards, three touchdowns, zero interception. So, you know, three touchdowns is, is solid. But when you can get three touchdowns on 160 yards, it kind of tells you some stuff. He didn't have to do a lot of work to put it in the end zone. He didn't have to do a lot through the air to get down there. And we, we can point to specific things. Obviously, there was the, the turnover by the guy that probably should have been ejected. Which, by the way, that was even more heartbreaking because I saw somebody post a video where Aaron Rodgers was winding up to hit MVS, who was wide open. That was about to be a 74-yard touchdown. Mercedes misses the block on, again, the guy that shouldn't have even been in the game. And you have essentially a 14-point swing in which the Packers were about to get a touchdown, and the Eagles end up getting the ball back, and he dumps it right in. There was also the botched uh, special teams play where they were able to return the ball basically into Green Bay territory. Um, which was followed immediately by Mason Crosby kicking the ball straight out of bounds and letting him start on the 40. There was a lot of self-destruction in this game as well, which actually, as much as it's painful to see, it's encouraging at the same time, because self-destruction is a lack of discipline, not a lack of talent. Now, that's not to say that discipline, you know, the, the discipline issues can't carry on for the rest of the year, but these are things that can be tightened up. In other words, by simply not playing terrible next week, they have a good chance of winning the game. Which is kind of what I said going into this game. Just don't regress. Just don't shoot yourself in the foot. Just keep playing the way you've been playing and everything's going to be fine. Well, they didn't. But anyways, Carson Wentz, um, 160 yards, 5.9 average. It's, it's not that great. Aaron Rodgers, on the other hand, 34 of 53, 422 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. And again, as like every single one of his picks, that interception was not his fault. And not only was it not his fault, it was pass interference. So it wasn't even the receiver's fault. It was the referee's fault that interception happened. Just the most obnoxious, insane thing ever. And it drives me nuts because it makes Aaron Rodgers' stats look worse. If you take away all the interceptions that end up being tipped passes, in other words, non-Aaron Rodgers' fault interceptions, the guy's got like two interceptions over the last like three years. It's, it's ridiculous. 
I mean, I specific, I don't remember when it was, but I specifically remember there was a year where I'm pretty sure he had like three picks and all three of them were tip passes. It was it, the guy's just he doesn't throw interceptions. He also was only sacked apparently one time for eight yards, which is really impressive considering he wasn't sacked at all last week. And this is two weeks in a row we've gone up against some pretty good pass rushers. The offensive line wasn't great, but this this is this is a team that is traditionally, and this is even when they've had you know good pass. Block, you know, Bakhtiari at his best and everything else. Aaron Rodgers traditionally is getting sacked three, four times a game. He gets sacked a lot. Usually it's the guys on the inside's fault. But, you know, two games, I mean, so again, there's more reason for encouragement there. Aaron Rodgers threw for 400 yards, and in two games he's been sacked twice, or once, I mean. That's pretty fantastic. Now, here's where essentially things get real ugly. And, and to be honest, just change this one dynamic and the Packers walk away with this game. Just walk away with it running the football. Jordan Howard, 15 carries, 87 yards, 5.8 average, two touchdowns. Miles Sanders, 11 carries, 72 yards, 6.5 yard average. Aaron Jones, 13 carries, 21 yards, 1.6 average. That's the second week in a row he's been under two yards per carry. And I'll be honest, I'm not, you know, I, I in my last mock draft, did have uh, Jonathan Taylor coming to the Green Bay Packers. I, I, I stand by it because it would be helpful, but I'm not putting this on Aaron Jones. Anybody watching this probably shouldn't be putting this on Aaron Jones. The guy's trying to get to the outside. He's getting hit in the backfield every single play. The offensive line is terrible. I've said before, these guys are not run blockers. And usually when I say that, Packer fans launch at me and go, oh, who cares? You don't need run blockers. It's not a, just get pass blockers. Who cares about running the ball? It's not about you know actually getting yards. It's, a, it's more about that you run. Really? How's that working out for you now? 1.6 yards per carry? That you're okay with that? No, we need guys that can run block at least a little bit. Now I'm willing to give it time. This this is a different, and maybe we just don't have the right guys. I've been saying this is going to get overhauled. The offensive line is going to change. We're going to get guys that are better run blockers. You look at the the Rams. You look at the 49ers. You look at anybody that runs a Shanahan offense. The first thing they want to do is get offensive linemen. I'm willing to bet when we go into this draft and we delve back into free agency with whatever money we have, the head coach of this team is going to look at it and say, I want my offensive lineman. And they're going to find guys that fit. And apparently they thought Billy Turner was it because he's athletic. He is certainly not it. They did draft Elton Jenkins in the second round. So that was one of those my guy kind of things. And that's worked out pretty well. He has, um, he, he's been one of the better run blockers on this team. I mean, consistently. I mean, he's also been one of the better pass blockers on this team, not including last week necessarily. He got kind of brutalized a little bit. But, I mean, this is one of those things where you get a head coach that says, this is the kind of guy I need for the system that I run. And he's one of the only guys on the entire team that's a consistently good run blocker. There's going to be more of that because everybody else is terrible. And and to to their – I mean, mean, I'm not trying to be – look, the the bottom line is there's two things going on here. The Packers have never cared about run blocking offensive linemen, number one. Number two, they've been drafting for a different kind of, of run blocker, right? There's, there's a different style that they're looking for. We're looking for a pass blocker that, that is, fits this kind of a profile. And Matt LaFleur is looking for a different, and, and make no mistake, pass blocking is the number one priority. But we're still looking for a different kind of profile, a different kind of this, this is what you need to be able to do kind of a thing. But again, it, it just, this needs to get fixed. Stopping the run and running the ball better. And, and really, to be completely honest, and there, there's more problems. There's there's different issues, but fix those two things. Um, and this 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 is th- there's no more problems. Easier said than done, but legitimately, if if the Packers can can become better run blockers, and and I'm just talking about cont- competent run blockers. Aaron Jones is a good back, but. He's
but he's got to have somewhere to go. He's got to at least be able to get to the the uh, back to the offensive line of scrimmage so he can find somewhere. I, I just, he's never got anywhere to go. The only reason Jamal Williams is is a better running back right now is because Jamal isn't being asked to do the same thing Aaron Jones is. Jamal is just being told here, take the ball and run straight up the middle, really hard and really fast. Well, the offensive line is better at that. You get Corey Lindsley, who's just an absolute physical brute of a man, bench presses BMWs, and you say, just push the guy in front of you really, really hard, which is, I mean, all offensive linemen, if, if your job is, I want you to just hit the guy in front of you and try to push him out of the way a little bit. Then you get Jamal, who's just a, a brawler, and you say, just run forward as hard and as fast as you can, and he picks up four yards. It's like, oh, I guess he's the better running back. No, that's just a sign that this run game is terrible. And these quick little dives at the middle are, are the only way we're able to get any yards on offense running the football. I'm not trying to come down on, on Jamal. He's getting the job done. But we need to be able to execute the kind of, of, of offense that Matt LaFleur is trying to execute. He doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to run the ball just up the gut. He wants to run the outside zone. It's, it's, everything is built off of that. The ability to pass the ball is built off of that. But again, this, you know, on one hand, it is discouraging. On the other hand, it's encouraging because, you know, if, if we expend all our resources just over the next week, but for the remainder of the year as well as saying this is what needs to get fixed. Again, there's other things, but just fix this. Stop the run, run block better. How good is this team instantly? Not even talking about elite in those categories, just competent in those categories. Get Aaron Jones, who's traditionally been a 5.5 yards per carry guy up to 4 yards per carry, which is going backwards, but it's something. Stop letting teams run for five and a half, six yards per carry against us consistently. Instantly, this is a better team. Because I'm sorry, 160 yards through the air is not going to beat the Green Bay Packers. It's not good enough. Aside from that, going through the air, um, you know, Zach Ertz was a problem. I don't know that it was as big of a problem as a lot of people made it out to be. The Packers didn't seem to have a huge... Um, they didn't really have much of an answer, but seven receptions for 65 yards, no touchdowns, you know, he's had better days. Granted, they didn't need to do much through the air, and they kind of did some things at will, but I mean, that that's kind of just a standard day for Zach Ertz. Seven, I mean, I've, as I've said, he's going to get a lot of receptions. He's the one that gets targeted a lot. I think, you know, the bigger story is the fact that Alshon only had three receptions for 38 yards. Goddard only had two for 16. Otherwise, it's Mac Collins and uh, Jordan Howard. Mac Collins, by the way, that was the one I was talking about where guys are catching passes on Jair that I've never heard of before. That 13-yard pass was against Jair, and it was like, oh, come on, man. But otherwise, I mean, that's it. I mean, Zach Ertz, Alshon Jeffrey, Jordan Howard, Dallas Goddard, and Mac Collins. Then you go over to Green Bay, and it's a different story. Devontae, Jimmy Graham, Geronimo, Marquez, Aaron Jones, Mercedes Lewis, Danny Vitale, Robert Tanya, Jamal Williams. I mean, the, the ball distribution was another thing that I like because you look at really good Packers teams, and that's a hallmark, spreading the ball around. I mean, going all the way back to Brett Favre, just hitting a billion different receivers. It's why traditionally you didn't take Packers receivers in fantasy because there's so many guys the ball can go to. I mean, now you can take Devontae, but again, this is, the ability to spread the ball out is, is, is important for the offense to be a good offense. But Devontae Adams, 10 receptions, 180 yards is ridiculous. Again, that was just an at-will situation, and that's what we need. That's what we need from a number one wide receiver. If you don't have a guy that's going to lock him down, we're going to hurt you. And Aaron Rodgers needs to be better with that as well, and I think he knows that. And that comes down to trust. You see a lot of these throws, there were guys that were close. Aaron Rodgers needs to trust himself to be able to get the ball right where it needs to be, and he needs to trust Devontae to come down with it. And I think he does trust Devontae. I just don't think for a while he's really trusted himself to just float that ball up there in relatively tight coverage, but not tight enough that if I throw a perfect ball, 
this isn't going to be an easy catch. You know, there's a guy trailing Devontae kind of stride for stride, but you just throw that right over the shoulder, too easy. Aaron Rodgers trusted that all day long and said, you know what, I'm just going to trust that I'm going to get the ball there. I'm going to trust Devontae is going to get down with the ball, and it just it turned out perfectly. He didn't have any touchdowns, but 180 yards is ridiculous. 15 targets, that's, that's crazy. Then you got Jimmy Graham, who I talked about, and I'm telling you, if we can get him going, he was the second best receiver on the team. I mean, not grading, but statistically. Six receptions for 61 yards and a touchdown, what a day for him. Man, let's get that going. Again, there's a lot to be encouraged by in this game, as much as we don't maybe want to admit it. Getting Jimmy Graham six receptions for 61 yards and a touchdown, 10.2-yard average? Let's go, dude. Geronimo, three receptions for 52 yards and a touchdown, and boy, oh boy, were some of those receptions ridiculous. I mean, we're talking clutch, third down, launching it up in the air between two receivers, skying up in the air to catch it, getting absolutely smoked and sandwiched by two guys and still holding on the ball and coming down with it. That's Geronimo. And I've said he's not a, a top-tier receiver. He's not, you know, I'm, I'm never probably going to give him that respect of, of being an elite football player. But he's clutch, man. He's always been clutch. He's that guy on third down that is just going to come up and make a play. He's also the guy that Aaron Rodgers trusts because I'm guessing he's not going to just lob it up to just anybody. But if there's nobody there and we need a third down and Geronimo's somewhat open, I'm going to throw it up there because I trust Geronimo to get it, and he does. Marquez, 30, uh, 30, 30 receptions, three receptions, 47 yards, 15.7 average. That's classic Marquez. And again, he would have had what, four for over 100 yards and a touchdown had that one play not happened. Because I'm telling you, man, I mean, no no guarantee the ball gets there. No, you know, Who knows what was going to happen? But, man, was Marquez wide open. Absolutely brutal. That that could have changed the game. That could have been a win for the Packers. That could have, you know, changed momentum and everything else. But whatever. Aaron Jones, the second highest reception total, or tied for second with uh, Jimmy Graham. Six receptions, 37 yards. That's another pretty important metric just because you want to be able to, to have that in your... I mean, it, as you're looking at this as a defensive coordinator, what do you do, right? That That's kind of what you want. You got to have a plan for Devontae Adams. However, Jimmy Graham is a problem. Even if he's not the Jimmy Graham of old, just his size and the fact of what he's able to do, you got to have a plan for that. Marquez and his speed, you probably should have a plan for that. Aaron Jones getting the ball out of the backfield is something you need to account for. Mercedes Lewis, two receptions for 19 yards. He's a problem. Because he's primarily primarily a blocker, but he can slip out. And if he gets the ball in his hand, that that guy, he is so big, it's crazy. Like Jimmy Graham is is really long and really tall. I mean, he's big, but he's like six foot seven, just just monstrous, really long, tall, giant hands guy. Mercedes looks, I, it's just he's he's terrifying looking. I mean, that that's a situation where like if if he and Preston got into it, I'm not a hundred percent sure who wins that. Like it's probably Preston. But I don't know, man. I mean, Mercedes is a big, really strong, really scary dude. Danny Vitale, who I don't think had a catch until last week when he had his, his one pretty good catch. Now he's up to two for 15 yards. He's getting mixed in. You've got a very athletic fullback. So it's the offense is growing. Not just, you know, if you just look at all oh, 27 points, you know, it's, it's well, we, we've scored more points every week and then we had 27 back to back, so we're getting stagnant. No, this isn't stagnation. This is a lot of things happening. This is a lot of improvements. And it wasn't just that, it was some of the scheme stuff. You know, r- running an, 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 end, an end around and, 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 you know, jet sweeps and all this stuff to even to guys like Geronimo Allison and Devontae Adams, which is clever because you don't expect it to actually go to them. If they're running it, if you see Marquez, you're thinking, okay, maybe. You see Darius Shepard or, or a guy like Trevor Davis or whatever. I know it's not going to be Trevor, but just saying. 
that's when maybe the defense is like, eh, I don't know, we should watch out for this. But then you get Geronimo doing it, and nobody's really expecting it, and it and it worked. It's not just that you did it, now the defense has to account for it. It's the fact that you do it and get seven yards. And then you go the other way and slip out Danny Vitale, and then you go over this way and you go to Jimmy Graham, and then you got Mercedes slipping off a block over here. And you got Robert Tanyan going for you know one target, one catch for 11 yards. It feels like there's a lot of weapons, and they're starting to figure out how to use them, and it's starting to happen. And again, I understand the Philadelphia Eagles just... I mean, we're going up against, like, second, third string guys. It was pretty bad. But let's get it going. Let's try some different stuff. Let's start to get a couple more plays out of the bag, get a few more tricks out of the bag. And I, to be honest, I think against Dallas, let's just empty it, man. Let's let's call that the Super Bowl. Any trick plays, any kind of craziness that we have not unveiled yet, let's just, let's, let's get it. Let's beat Dallas in Dallas. Because we're slowly peeling back the curtain, and I'm loving it, man. I mean, this, this is stuff you'd never see under Mike McCarthy. And again, and it's working. And we know Matt LaFleur does better with tight ends. And, and already, you know, maybe Jimmy Graham had one good day and he's about to regress again. It's not like he's never had a good day in his life. You know, even last year he had days where it was like, oh, maybe Jimmy's going to do something. You know, last year Jimmy had, uh, what, eight receptions for 50 yards against Arizona, six receptions for 76 yards against Detroit, six for 95 against Minnesota, five for 104 against San Francisco. I mean, he had a couple good games last year, but also was terrible for the rest of the year. But, you know, maybe... If you throw in the touchdown, you could maybe argue this was his best game with the, you know, in a Packers uniform. His other games last year with a touchdown, um, New England, four receptions, 55 yards and a touchdown. Buffalo, three receptions, 21 yards and a touchdown. It's arguable. I don't know. But I do see that as encouraging. And look, I'm not trying to blow smoke, but, but let's be honest on both sides of it. Obviously, everything isn't all roses, and there's stuff that needs to get fixed, and if it doesn't get fixed, it's not going to be a good year. And at that point, we just flip into, okay, 2020 mode. But we're not going to go into 2020 mode after going 3-1 and one in the first four games. That's kind of what I'm saying. And again, there, there's positive signs here. So let's give the team, let's give Mike Pettin and this really solid defense an opportunity to, to tweak a couple things and come back strong. Let's give this offense that is continually ascending as they're learning this this new offensive scheme and getting better especially at passing the ball let's give them an opportunity to get better at running the ball and continue to develop the passing game and continue to unveil this offense that is yet to be fully unveiled and unraveled because they're still learning it i'm not blowing smoke i'm being realistic this isn't a great situation and this does kind of bring us down to earth a little bit but let's not go full tear it down mode all right this isn't the miami dolphin we don't need to trade everybody away for first round picks so we can rebuild let's relax this is a classic case of, of Packer fans setting too high of expectation I literally at times as a kid I remember being in a terrible mood at Disneyland you know why because I set my expectations to be like basically walking in heaven and then you get there and it's like you know your feet hurt and it's hot you have to wait in lines and the contrast between this glorious thing that I envisioned and the fact that it's just kind of another day with rides kind of ruined my whole day, despite the fact that it was an awesome day compared to any average day. We need to stop setting such unrealistic expectations. I mean, if, if it, the, the fact of the matter, too, is that if this was any other team, we see this happen every single week when we do picks. And by the way, I forgot to do picks. Darn it all. Every single week, if you do picks or you look at different teams and stuff that goes on, you see teams lose. Just flu- I mean, if, if the New England Patriots lost to the Philadelphia Eagles, not one Packer fan to look at that and say, oh, looks like the New England Patriots are done. Not one. Minnesota Vikings, if they lose to the Eagles, not one is going to say, oh, looks like they're terrible. No, we know going against the Vikings next time is going to be tough. Same with the Bears. 
Likewise, you've got the Lions that beat the Eagles, and nobody's looking at the Lions like, whoa, Super Bowl contenders over here. Stuff happens in the NFL. Teams have bad days. Teams have really good days. By the way, Eagles head coach, one of the best offensive minds in football. He coached a heck of a game. Super aggressive, unbelievably intelligent, extremely creative, called some great plays, got the, got the defense a little flat-footed at times, called the right plays at the right times. I mean, stuff was just going in the way, going well for the Eagles. It was going terrible for the Packers. It just kind of felt bad the whole time. Stuff happens. Relax. Anyways, let's take one more break, and then I wanna, I'm going to continue with stats. I'm not going to do grades today, but I want to look at some more advanced stats from PFF, and then we'll call it a day. Man, I, I tell you what, just poking around. I, I don't know why when I say I'm going to take a break, I feel like I need to like stare at my phone and do I, I I don't have to take a break at all. I could, I could just say I'm taking a break and just keep talking. It's the nature of how these ads work, but whatever. I went back and, and found a clip on Twitter of that pass to Devontae for 58 yards. It just, I mean, it, it gives me chills. It's exactly what I was talking about. It's, it's, it's Devontae one-on-one. It, we, you know what to do. Devontae just has to win. Aaron Rodgers just has to throw a beautiful, perfect pass, and that's exactly what happened. The, the second that ball was snapped, he looked at Devontae. He saw Devontae get behind him, and that was it. And that, man, oh, man, that feels good. Anyways, statistics now. I want to look at uh, some stats here. Now, I mentioned there was there was one sack in the game. That was credited to Mercedes Lewis. Um, he had a, you know, I said I wasn't going to do grades, but he, he did have a pretty terrible pass blocking and run blocking grade. In fact, several people did. However, uh, one sack and no hits, which is awesome, but there were 24 hurries in the game. There have been, I think, 32 hurries through the first three weeks, just for reference. 24 hurries is a lot. Alex Light obviously was the biggest culprit. Him going out was a real problem. And I've got a question, and I'm going to throw a, a, you know what, I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to put a poll up in the Facebook group, because I always say I'm going to do a poll and forget. I'm going to do it right now. I'll be right back, and I'll ask you. Here's the the question as I posed it in the Facebook group. And by the way, if you're not in the Facebook group, be sure to get in there. Check the link in the description. There's only one link. It takes you to a link of links. In said link, you can find the Packernet group. Otherwise, go to Facebook groups slash Packernet pod. Anyways, here's the question. Thoughts on Brian Balaga? Because I've been stating for a while Balaga's a freak and nobody seemed to want to believe me. I think now people are starting to realize how good he is, but I've been saying it for a while. I understand the injuries are an issue, but here's here's the question I have. Given the age, given the injuries, given the talent level that he has and the drop-off of the people behind him, number one, three options that I'm going to give you. Do we offer him a, a long-term contract? Do we extend Brian Balaga? Give him a, a three-year contract, for example, and just, just say we've got this this pegged. And then focus on, you know, later round talent, you know, third, fourth round, trying to get some tackles that can at least come in and be competent. Number two, do we move on from Brian Balaga simply because the injuries have become too much of a problem? We don't want to spend the money. Let's just draft a tackle. That becomes an instant priority. Let's just replace him. Number three, do we kind of do a hybrid? That is to say, offer Balaga a one-year contract, draft a replacement, and kind of just let this thing play out naturally. Kind of like what happened with Elton Jenkins, where Lane Taylor's there, you kind of know Elton Jenkins is a better player and needs to take that role, and we're just going to kind of let Lane play. He got hurt. Well, I guess we'll put Elton in, and we probably know right now that Lane Taylor will not be coming back. I'm just curious where people are at on that, because I know prior to the season it was, we need to replace him. Let's just, let's replace him. He he needs to go. He's going to be gone next year. We're not going to pay him any money, so right tackle is going to be the biggest priority. But, you know, again, given the talent that he has, the guys he's gone up against and, and the, how clean Aaron Rodgers has been is just incredible to me. He's played above and beyond even my expectations, and I've been banging that drum for a while now. By the way, 
I don't know exactly how these grades work because he wasn't graded that highly as a, as a pass blocker. And maybe it's just because of the lack of snaps that he had. But zero sacks, zero hits, zero hurries on the day for Brian Balaga. He did have a penalty, which, you know, whatever. But um, just going down the line here, Bakhtiari gave up three hurries, no sacks, no hits. Not bad for a full day's work. Uh, Corey Lindsley gave up one hurry on the day. Pretty solid day for him. Elton Jenkins, no sacks, no hits, two hurries. Mercedes, as I mentioned, gave up the one sack, which isn't very good. Billy Turner, who ESPN still has as their, I, I believe, like number one guard or something ridiculous. And I just saw, I think it's Sam Monson from PFF just launch another tirade against him, saying these guys are out of their minds. And of course, some people fire back and say, no, you're wrong, they're right. The guy gave up six hurries. David Bakhtiari gave up three. That is that is the most of, of any other starter not named Alex Light or Billy Turner. And, and the, the fact of the matter is, when you get to the interior, there just tends to be a lot less as far as pressures generally given up. And, and Billy Turner playing at, at right guard gave up six hurries. It's just not very good. Outside of that, Tanyan gave up one hurry, uh, and Aaron Rodgers was credited with three of his own hurries, which, again, essentially is, you know, maybe, number one, he rolls to the outside. At that point, it's no longer the offensive line's problem. Number two, he's holding on to the ball too long, and they're just not going to credit the offensive line. In other words, the offensive lineman did a good job. You can't expect him to hold the block for three and a half, four seconds, or whatever the case may be. So really, the, the problems came down to Alex Light and Billy Turner, and one big miss from Mercedes Lewis, who otherwise was was fine. Uh, looking at the breakdown for Aaron Rodgers, uh, they've got the stats, pressure and no pressure. They also have blitzed and not blitzed. I don't generally use that because I, I don't, I'm sure there's a purpose for it, but, you know, uh, I, I just care more about pressure. You know, blitz that doesn't get home is a, you know, whatever. If you're interested in that, go pay PFF and go look at it. But here are Aaron Rodgers' stats with no pressure. And I mentioned last week how absolutely insane. I think he was like 17 of 17. He was basically perfect, whatever. His one pick did come from the not being pressured. But again, that was not his fault. But here's a stat line. He was um, 24 of 34 attempts, which is 70.6 completion percentage, which is incredibly high. 320 yards, 9.4 average, one touchdown, one interception. When under pressure... He was uh, 10 of 19, 52%, which isn't great, 102 yards, 5.4 average, but did have a touchdown. His adjusted completion percentage, however, is kind of interesting. It was actually higher when he was under pressure than not under pressure. When he was under pressure, some of these passes, again, I said 10 of 19. However, two drops and three throwaways accounts for five of them. So really, it becomes like 10 of 14. So his adjusted completion percentage was 75%, when not under pressure, 72.7%. Either way, his NFL passer rating with no pressure was 97.7, which again includes that interception, which is not his fault, Is which uh, when not under pressure, his passer rating 85.9. Uh, we kind of ran through the uh, receiving stats, a couple extra little tidbits. Uh, there were two drops that I mentioned. Uh, those two drops came from Aaron Jones and Jimmy Graham. Looking at passer rating, the top guy was actually Geronimo Allison, 156.3 passer rating when targeted. After that was Jimmy Graham, 122.9, then Robert Tanyan, 112.5, then Devontae, 107.6. Now, a passer rating is, I mean, touchdowns are weighted pretty heavily. Devontae didn't have any. That's a big part of this. Um, they're also, I don't, I don't know. It's an interesting stat for some people, so I'm saying it, but it's not necessarily. Obviously, Devontae was the guy that tore it up all day, so we don't need to read too much into it, but it is interesting to see uh, the, the, the passer rating, which a lot of times comes down to the chemistry between a guy. You know, consistently, you look at Jim. Um, Jordy Nelson and Aaron Rodgers and the passer rating that they had together. Traditionally, there's usually a pretty good connection between Aaron Rodgers and his number one guy and the passer rating that they have. 
And sure enough, you got Geronimo at the top. There's definitely a connection between those two guys. At the bottom of that list was actually Marquez Valdez-Scantling, 26.2. Largely, that had to do with the fact he was targeted seven times, which was tied for third most, but he only caught three of those passes, which is a 42.9% reception percentage, which is to say that almost every single bad pass went to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. But really, I mean, to be completely honest, I actually think there's something to that. I, I kind of think there's a... a there's a disconnect between those two, which again, it's it's a bad thing, but it's also something that can be encouraging. Because what happens when they get on the same page? Aaron Rodgers isn't able to quite get the ball to Marquez. I don't know if he's not in sync with his his um, his speed. Maybe there's just sort of a disconnect in terms of how you run the route, right? He's not breaking at the right time. Whatever it is, they're, they're not quite at the same... Because this is consistent. This has been a while now. And you see the targets. He wants to go there probably because MVS is open. But the ball just isn't getting there. Again, three of seven, and they're they're not giving Marquez one single drop in this, which is to say four passes. More than 50% of these passes were errant passes to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, or pass breakups, or whatever the, the case may be, I suppose, which I can actually look at that, I think. So there was one pass breakup of that group. So it was about 50-50. Three passes that were good passes and caught, three passes that were errant passes. There was, the, uh, there was one target to Razul Douglas that was off target. Um, he was one for one against Akeem Spence for 26 yards, one for one against Sidney Jones for four yards. Three times he was targeted against Avanti Maddox. Only one of those was caught for 17 yards. So the other two were, were errant passes. Avanti Maddox had a terrible um, grade in that game, which, which really just speaks to missed opportunities, right? Avanti Maddox was, was on MVS and could not guard him, and Aaron Rodgers couldn't get the ball to him. So that's a connection that needs to get worked on. But again, that's something that's encouraging, not dis it's discouraging because we lost. It's encouraging because it goes to show the the room for improvement. By the way, I just thought of something. There are a lot of pretty advanced stats that I don't usually go through because I don't find it super interesting. If you are somebody that uh, donates on Patreon, feel free to reach out. If you got any specific questions, you want me to look at something, just let me know and I'll I'll get you the answer. There you go. Thought of a perk. I keep trying to think of stuff that I can do for, for my Patreon peeps. There's one. By the way, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. All right, moving on. Um, definitely a down day in terms of pressure. We're looking at defense now. 14 total pressures. It actually has gone down every single week so far, but I don't know if that's necessarily a trend because they've been relatively close. But the, the next lowest would have been week three at 24 pressures. So it, it dropped almost in half. Um, the top guys in terms of pressure, Kenny Clark and Preston Smith each had four. There were no sacks on the day, which is a problem. And, and again, you go up against a top-flight offensive line, one of the better ones, and uh, not able to get pressure, that's got to change. Excuse me, not able to get sacks has to change. Um, after that, Dean Lowry and Zadarius each had two. Zadarius Smith has is, got to up his game. Um, it was all around just a pretty terrible game for him. Uh, his best asset was pass rushing, and it wasn't very good. So, you know, he's a talented guy. But um, this was a really bad effort from him. Dean Lowry as well. But we're not doing grades today. Other than that, only two guys had any pressure. Kyler Fackrell had one. Tremont had one. Um, Tyler Lancaster was 0 for 10. Rashawn Gary was 0 for 9. Kingsley Kiki was 0 for 5. Blake 0 for 5. The 4 or 5, 4 10 thing that I'm referring to is pass rush attempts. So how many times they tried to get to the quarterback and failed. Uh, Amos 0 for 3. Tremont 0 for 3. The only guys to actually hit the quarterback, uh, Preston Smith and Tremont Williams. Otherwise, they were all just hurried. No batted passes. Tackling, it was basically the Blake Martinez and Adrian Amos show. Missed tackles. Darnell missed two. He's got he's to gotta clean that up. 
again, tackling another big problem. We had four guys that were in the the 20s in tackling, just terrible, 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 terrible tackling. And that is a big part of what's going on with the run defense. I mean, this is the first game where there's really bad run defense grades. And there were guys that were just getting straight up beat in a real bad way. And we'll get to that tomorrow looking at specific grades. But again, tackling is another pretty serious problem. Learn to control your fingers on the buttons. Uh, A lot of talk essentially about uh, Kevin King, who had a very, very good day. And he did. Um, I, I... I don't know the outcome yet because they're the only there's only two teams that have played so far, but it wouldn't be shocking based on his grade, which I'm not talking about today, that he ends up being the top cover corner in the NFL this week, which is, is you know, it's it's good, but it's also like we need a little bit more consistency, right? We had Jair last week, and Kevin King had a bad week. This year we got Kevin King, and Jair had a subpar week, although it wasn't that bad. Looking just at the statistics, both Kevin King and Jair Alexander were targeted six times. Both of them only gave up two receptions. That's pretty good. And in fact, Jair actually gave up less yards. Kevin King uh, gave up two receptions, six yards. uh, Give me a minute. Two receptions on six targets for 25 yards. Jair, two receptions on six targets for 19 yards. The biggest difference is that Kevin King actually created a lot of those with two pass breakups, which is fantastic, and also did not give up a touchdown. Jair broke up zero passes, zero interceptions, and gave up a touchdown. But uh, there were no interceptions on the day, and uh, only the two pass breakups from Kevin King. Three touchdowns were given up. I mentioned Jair. The other one was Blake Martinez, and then the other one was Will Redmond, who just had a terrible, terrible, terrible day in coverage. Pretty much everywhere that he was, they just attacked him, and it was a great plan. Um, He was fine in other facets of the game. Actually, one of the better run defenders. Actually, I think it was the second-best run defender on the team. Great tackler, second-best tackler on the team. But coverage was just brutal. Uh, targeted three times. All three were caught for 28 yards. And again, a touchdown. Not great at all. And uh, penalties were pretty clean. Just, uh, I think, Dean Lowry and Kenny Clark. Which, by the way, why is Kenny Clark getting penalized every single game? And and how in the world? I, it's just the weirdest thing. I don't even know what his penalty was in this last game. But I know prior to this, he's had like a defensive holding every single game. Finally, a little special teams news and information here. Nobody really stood out positively. Uh, Geronimo Allison and B.J. Goodson would be the two if anyone did. On the negative side, which you would expect there'd be a few, and there are, Hunter Bradley, not super great. Ty Summers, struggling. Will Redmond, no good. Danny Vitale, who, by the way, I think may have been possibly primarily responsible for that big run. I'm not positive, but I do seem to remember him being there and then not being there, and that was not good. Fatal Brown, Chandon Sullivan, and uh, Robert Tanya. Robert Tanyan and Shannon Sullivan tied for um, being the worst on special teams for week four. Congratulations. Please pick up your certificate at the end of the table. Return grades, obviously nothing super special. Tremont Smith, two returns, 45 yards. His longest was 25 yards, which is kind of useless considering you can take a knee and get it at the 25-yard line. But I appreciate the effort. You know, you got to give it a shot. I mean, to be honest, if he makes it to the 25, it was worth it. Even if he makes it to like the 23 or 24, it was worth it. Because you've got the opportunity to maybe get a big run out of there. So, you know, at least get to the 25. If you take it out and make it to the 13 or something, you're getting kicked. And then finally, kicking grades. Mason Crosby, 3 of 3 on extra points. 2 of 2 for field goals. Bang and 2 from the 30-yard range. J.K. Scott, not the best day ever. Uh, his longest was only 52 yards. His hang time only 473. You would expect one of those two is going to be really high. All right, if you got to kick it really far, kick it really far. Then I'm not super worried about hang time. If you don't have very far to kick it, then you kick it really high. You get higher hang time, but not as far. Um, when you got 
not super far and not hanging up in the air super long. Meh. But he was fine. He got one inside the 20. Uh, one of them he kicked out of bounds. He did his job. Did he save the day? No, but he did his job. Anyways, them's my thoughts. It wasn't a great effort, but it was good to be able to get as much bad on tape as possible because we've got over a week to analyze this. Packers need some stuff to uh, to work on, but again, there's a lot of things to be encouraged by. I think there's some uh, reason to believe that the MVS connection is going to continue to get better. Jimmy Graham, maybe. Maybe we're getting something out of him. We'll see. Uh, Devontae, we, we haven't seen a game like that between Aaron Rodgers and I mean I, I feel like this is what Aaron Rodgers has been wanting for a long time every single week we got to get the ball to Devontae we got to get it to Devontae got to get it to Devontae this is basically what Aaron Rodgers wants to happen every single week now we're not going to get the terrible Eagles corners every week however I will say the Dallas Cowboys although not bad don't exactly have elite lockdown corners secondary is kind of meh also the linebackers are off to a tough start that's really weird it's early you know I feel like every time I say this is weird, this person isn't doing very well, and usually they're very good. They end up having a great day against the Packers, so I'm not going to bank on Leighton Vander Esch and Jalen Smith having bad days, because I've been saying for a while now this is the best linebacker duo in football. But they do kind of look like trash so far this season, according to PFF. That's weird. Anyways, that's it for today. Be back at it tomorrow, and I do plan on getting some videos up for the uh, Pack Daddy Premium group. Sorry I didn't get you anything for last week. It's just There's just too much going on. But I'm going to get started right now, and we'll see what we can come up with. I'll probably just try to do a short one because the family's going to be waking up any minute, and I want to be able to get you some kind of content. So we'll get you something. Otherwise, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.